Hello and welcome to a new episode of my RPG podcast. On today's episode, we have Tommy from Black Dragon Gaming. He does a YouTube channel based primarily on Pathfinder content, lore, and discussions of the new forthcoming second edition of Pathfinder. Tommy is a great guy with an amazing work ethic, and we get to have a great conversation about kind of his transition into making YouTube content, the reception, and we even get to talk a little bit about death metal, which I, of course, love. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome, one and all, to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Tommy from Black Dragon Gaming. Tommy, will you please introduce yourself? What's going on, guys? My name is Tommy. I'm super stoked to be here. Like the man said, I run a little YouTube channel called Black Dragon Gaming. We are aiming to be your number one source of Pathfinder content on YouTube, both first edition and second edition. We've got myriads upon myriads of video series coming out every week. And yeah, like I said, we're just trying to be like the big guys in the scene because there's so much after like 10 years and you decide, hey, you know, no one's really doing this. There's a lot of races and a lot of like regions and stuff that nobody knows about because we're all just playing core races. Let's make a series about them. And then here's second edition. So the workload gets all kinds of crazy, but it's a whole lot of fun. And again, so happy to be here with you, man. Yeah, so we're going to jump right into the Pathfinder stuff in just one moment, but let's go to the genesis here, the very beginning. Tommy, how did you get into RPGs? Oh, God. Uh, that's a good question. I I guess I have to say I got into RPGs being like, like I'm 27 now, being like 10, 11 years old. My mother's shopping at Walmart, and I get kind of like left in the electronics department back in the day when they had PS2s set up and you had to like lean back really far to play them. And uh, this was around the time that Final Fantasy X came out. And that was probably my first like experience with turn-based stuff. And uh, also, I guess I have to plug like Neverwinter Nights, Temple of Elemental Evil, all those like computer RPGs that we all played. Well, if we haven't played, you should. They're sweet. That like you just kind of get your hands on as a kid because you like swords and magic and dragons and noise. And you play them and they're really fun. And as you get older, you get like, I guess the first time I ever played like with dice, I would have been like 19, 20 years old in college and somebody had all this stuff and we all just dove in. And then I got the bug from there. It There had been like, uh, like groups fall apart and stuff. So there'd been breaks in between here and there. I haven't been playing just continuously since, but I've known ever since around then that I really enjoyed it. And it was something I really liked to do if for no other reason to like take a break from real life and do that like group problem solving with a side of bad puns that most tabletop role playing games will like bring into the fore all the time. As far as Pathfinder, well, I guess like as far as playing seriously went would have been the spring of 2014 where I went to my local game store. They had started a Pathfinder group there. There was like 11 players present day there's just three of us four years later but that group held together we meet two or three times a week to roll dice and yeah i guess that's how i got started 
Yeah, and that's a kind of great span of time there you can talk about. But um, so what do you think was the first thing? I think you touched on it a little bit there about escapism, kind of getting away from your everyday life and either doing commutative problem solving or role playing. Was was that the kind of draw to you? Was that the idea, the commutative uh, role playing and problem solving and collaborativeness? Yeah, yeah, I think I could say that. Also, there's something to be said for like the video game where you can literally do whatever you want. Like everybody loves Skyrim, everybody loves Fallout, but I really dislike getting to the edge of the map and I'm just kind of jogging in place as someone is saying, you can't go that way. Yeah, that's that, absolutely like the, the that that kind of breaking the verisimilitude or breaking the kind of immersion that you feel whenever you have a game that says, oh, this is an open world and you can do whatever you like. The first time you try to, you know, jump over that weird sort of fence and it doesn't let you do it or you're trying to go to that inaccessible area that immediately reminds you of like, well, this is a game with limitations. Yeah, so with RPGs, we kind of supersede that ability because of the open, the true open-endedness self of the, uh, the true open-endedness of the way the game is played. English, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I totally agree. That's why I like these games so much is like within the confines of the D20, if you want to do it, well, I guess I shouldn't say within the confines of the D20, within the confines of whatever dice you roll to make your system do what it does, if you want to do it, you can at least try if you want to go. Like, I remember one time, this was a couple years ago, we have, uh, Pathfinder has this really big map of the inner sea region that you can buy, and we have it hanging where we play, and we had a new guy come in, and this guy joined midway through a campaign. He didn't know what he was going to do, so what he did was he brought a Nerf gun, and we didn't know. He just kind of like out of nowhere stood up, pulled it out of his backpack and he's playing a wizard and he just, I teleport here, shoots at the map. And then suddenly Tommy, the GM has to improv for three hours as he goes to like the other side of the world and does his own thing. But the point is you can do that here and that's what makes it so much fun. Yeah, and I think that's the draw for a lot of people as well. Were your early games kind of lackadaisical and comical like like that all the time? Or was there a more focus towards role-playing? Or what was it like? My early games were kind of just like we would show up on Friday and throw dice around. There was a very like revolving door of GMs, I suppose you could say, where like you'd do a one-shot, you'd do a one-shot, you'd do like a two-shot because we ended up doing something else in the middle. And then I would do a one-shot and it would just go like this because... Back in the very beginning, uh, this was just a bunch of people who played and there was, including me, 10 people. So it was really, like, it was controlled chaos. There was a lot of people who'd just be, like, watching TV in the other room, like, oh, it's my turn. I cast this. Rolls the dice. I do this much. I'll go back in here now. Okay, Forever so, and ever and ever. So your experience was was, was very um, casual then in that regard because the, the rotating GM and the fact that I guess people are doing other things and then kind of popping in and out of, of, of the game there. So it was a very much a, a kind of a game night sort of thing rather than like this is our setting, this is our campaign, this is our main focus. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember actually I was the first GM in that group to like start a campaign and we do like a, this still the revolving door of GMs. But when the revolving door revolved to someone else, it would be a one shot always. And oh, hey, it's Tommy's turn. Oh, okay. I'll GM for 15 more sessions. And my sorcerer is a GM PC. Everyone loves that. Ha ha. I'll fireball them for you. I'm a turret. It only like, it's been very recently that we've, well, rather that I've been fortunate enough to meet a bunch of players that are equally into the game, 
equally like not just game night taking it really serious we're coming here we all have this much backstory we're all doing this much in this setting and this is what is happening and like played it as this big thing as rather game night but i'm really glad that i found that because that's part of the reason i'm able to do the channel that i do and it's part of like probably about 60 70 percent of my free time and fun because again nothing really quite compares yeah and you know nothing against obviously there's some people who like that casual um approach to your rpgs i know west marches is a popular thing for people who have a large group who kind of want to casually play a game without a defined campaign or defined time to play but for me as well like i i find the best games i have are the ones where people are are committed and seriously into the world or seriously into their characters and come in with a purpose and goal because uh that sort of it, it's it's this kind of um beautiful cycle that feeds the gm or dm for her or him to play uh, sorry to create uh, more in depth or more uh, layered content and then of course when the players get to play it themselves and they feel immersed in this world or they feel immersed in their characters like they're making a difference then it brings more out of them and I think that's a beautiful kind of feeding uh, feedback loop that happens there oh yeah absolutely and that's why I always like my players when they sit down even if it's like a one shot I always have my players give me one page typed backstory so I can like mess around with that kind of stuff. My channel has, and at the beginning of the series, we were still kind of like fake it till you make it over at Black Dragon Gaming. So the audio is real bad, but we picked up, we figured out what we were doing. And I have at max, we had eight players right now. We're at six and we're about to hit somebody's hometown and he's about to have a bunch of revelations that he's never going to see coming. And I'm super, super, super stoked for it. But I'm super stoked for it because like it's not just like some harebrained, well, okay, it's kind of a harebrained idea out of my head, but I couldn't do it without his head as well. And that's, it just, it reminds you that, and I've seen this meme floating around recently, like it's not your story. You are not JK Rowling. It's a shared narrative. And again, that's another just like nail in the coffin has a bad connotation, but another nail in the coffin for why tabletop role-playing games are so great. Yeah, and I and I think um, the the beauty of that, and we're we're gonna get into your channel in just one second, is that this mm. inspires us GMs um, to, of course, yeah, we're creating content. We think we want to be these like master storytellers, but realistically, at the end of the day, we're we're just really really good at creating a premise, which then the players run with, and then the conclusion is really up to them. You just kind of tag, you're improving or figuring out as you go along the way. I know some people love modules some people love um kind of more linear storytelling and there's a, a great place for that as well and i can't wait to have an episode where i talk exclusively with people about modules and things like that but for me personally in uh, the games i've played in the past five or so years uh, i'd have to say the open-endedness of running a game and playing with people where you don't know what's going to come next but you know you're always kind of on edge about the unpredictability is so rewarding and then that i'm way more creative now than i've been in a super long time Hence the podcast. Um, so <laughs> yeah, for sure. tying into that then. So what's where, where's that leap coming in and why Pathfinder specifically? Why Pathfinder? Mm, well, I started at 3.5 because 3.5 was the big one when I was like, again, on like casual game night. I think fourth edition existed, but no one like we don't talk about fourth edition. I'm sure there's people that like fourth edition. I'm not trying to disparage it, but that was the feel because some of the guys were probably like 10 years older than me. And they all just had like the old, even like 3.0, I think, monster manuals that they're just slamming on the table. Pathfinder for me, it's it combines the crunch that I personally really enjoy. I like thinking, okay, well, I have a new character to build. 
three hours later, I'm coming out of the lab with some crazy, optimized, crunchy, weird thing. But you also combine that with, and I guess this feeds into the crunch as well, but Pathfinder has before second edition, like 10 years worth of stuff. And you can pretty much build whatever it is you want, however it is you want to play it with pretty much like the only limit is balance and your imagination. Pathfinder's even got like in my game, I'm playing, uh, well, I'm GMing rather for someone who is playing a half troll, but Pathfinder has no rules for that. Pathfinder's advanced race guide in the back of the book has a like race builder. So we just whipped it up right there and there it was pretty much any like to say archetypes is a little ironic, I guess, for Pathfinder, but like whatever character archetype you want to play, it's right there. There's uh, I think personally, there are enough feats floating around in Pathfinder, like for even like the casuals to keep up with the really optimized guys, because like it's basically there's that one line you can take, like, I want to be good at this. You take it. And there's also the line for like people that want to like go over the top of that. They can, but you can still like the little guy can keep up. Also, like, I guess I really, I see Pathfinder. I think we all see Pathfinder really as the spiritual successor. And it just like, that feels like home for me. Again, that might be because I grew up on like Temple of Elemental Evil, not the really old module, but the computer RPG and like Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate. Uh, recently Pillars of Eternity real good game in that same vein but it's just like all of those and those are all 3.5 Pathfinder is just that cleaned up I've played a little 5th edition in my time I don't like honestly I don't get invited to a lot of 5e games I'd like to learn more about it for sure but it's just like again that's where all everything I've learned just kind of dumps into Pathfinder and that's why it's become my favorite and I have a limited experience with Pathfinder, and I'm more universed in 5e as well. But everything I've 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 looked at Pathfinder actually did happen to get a, a great humble bundle about a year or so ago with a bunch of fantastic Pathfinder material. And just looking at the the breadth of the character creation abilities, looking at the breadth of the world and the races, and how much background you have, and you actually start touching on this in your channel. Uh, we're gonna uh, which we keep alluding <laughs> to. It's very easily, uh, it's very easy to notice that Pathfinder is this great kind of step up for the D&D fan who enjoys like fifth edition, which prides itself on simplicity and accessibility. But if you want to take it one step further, get really refined, get really tuned in, and also if you want a really big world uh, with a lot of options there from just the Paizo published materials, I think Pathfinder is a great next step. So you've got this love of Pathfinder, mm -hmm. Tommy. You've got the internet and maybe some sort of recording material. How's it happen? How's it happen? Uh, well, frankly, it was about a year ago. It was the day after Easter last year. I got hired to drive a forklift in a factory. And I end up like, you work long hours. I'm working like 5.30 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, like seven days a week. It's backbreaking. It feeds me. But it just kind of like, it really sucks. You don't enjoy your life. You come home. I see my wife. Hi, I need to go to bed. I got to get up at like 3 a.m. to go to work and you just you have no time at all. But I had a bunch of money and I got it into my head. I'd start looking at some content creators on Patreon. And you go onto their page and you see they're making just as much money as I am to do what they want. And it just dawns on me that I've been playing for years. I have a lot of love, information, enthusiasm, knowledge about this game. 
why not give it a try? And then I did, and I ended up going, like, present day, I deliver pizzas at a little pizza joint here in my little small town. And I just kind of, like, I got fed up one day with the job I had, and I decided I wanted to try to be somebody more. So I quit that job, went to a job that I work, like, on a busy week. I, it's still, like, a 40-hour job, but it gives me time to do this. And I ordered a Blue Yeti, which, like, Two weeks after I got it, my cat knocked it over and it broke. So I was recording with my webcams mic up until like you start getting like, hey, this is, you should do this. This sounds bad. So I break down by another Blue Yeti and it's just kind of been fake it till you make it till we get there. And I'm not going to say like, oh, I've got there. But in the past year, I've hit just about a thousand subscribers. So I can say personally that I don't regret my decision at all because it's been a really fun ride. I've made a ton of friends and it's just, it's kind of only like up from here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I wouldn't have you on if I didn't think you made fantastic content. The breadth of content, the depth of content that you make just over the course of weeks or months is uh, kind of, uh, well, it is impressive, but it's also a little daunting to me just for a guy who also works the 40, 50 hour grind just like you do. And I'm kind of easy. I only do I only do like a podcast a week or two uh, or so, but I'm looking at all the videos you're, you're making and I know that editing, editing is not an easy task and all this stuff is not an easy task. And now you're mentioning all the difficulties you're dealing with with your equipment breaking down and all that stuff and having to fake until you make it. I totally respect the hustle, man. I, I, I'm really impressed the really like from the bottom of my heart that means so much because yeah you're totally right it's probably like a four five six hour thing most days to record a video edit a video make the like photoshop stuff for the video upload the video post it to everywhere and then you just kind of like lather rinse repeat all over again but the way i see it like if i'm trying to really do this if i'm trying to and youtube's adpocalypse was kind of like that happened right when i hit uh like the subscriber benchmark there's, oh, hey, we've changed everything. Oh, okay, thanks. But if, like, if I'm going to realistically ask for people's money because we have a Patreon and we're trying to, like, get ads on our stuff and trying to make it for real with Pathfinder on YouTube, I've got to hustle because why, oh, why, oh, why should I ask anyone for anything if I'm not willing to do that? I guess really that's the only thing I took away from driving a forklift in a factory was everybody's all, like, the work ethic there becomes really strong because people have worked there for 25, 30 years and it's all they know. And it's kind of unfortunate because they never get to see their families. I guess, again, I'm not trying to disparage anybody out there who is that kind of person because it's really hard work and I'm sure like people respect you for it. But that was what I took away from that was like, you have to work hard to succeed. And just, it comes applied right here to the channel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you're seeing it. And I think growth is paramount to obviously success on anything you do. But I think growth is so much of hard work meeting opportunity. And you've definitely got the work ethic down. Just look at this man's content. But let's, let's dive into it a little bit here. One of my favorite bits of content on your channel, and one of the ones I'm actually going to be ripping a lot uh, of ideas from and stuff from is when you go uh, into these small kind of uh, five minute lore kind of breakdowns of kind of areas of the Pathfinder regions of the Pathfinder material there. Um, let's talk about putting that together. How, what, how much prep is there? Because, you know, five minute videos, realistically, there's a multiplier to how long it takes to do that. How much content and time is there to create? Well, that? those five minute videos are probably like 20 minutes. Uh, 
when they like when I'm done recording it and it's rendering to really a lot of the time is rendering I'm coming to realize like I need to render it to go in this program then it renders again then it gets uploaded then it gets rendered and blah 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 but those are a lot of the time I have to spend like going around because I've gone through pretty much all of the inner sea region I think we have like five or six or seven regions left and one of the things I like the most about Pathfinder and its lore is there's definitely a real world equivalent for pretty much everywhere on Pathfinder's world of Galeriod, whether that be like, if you want to go explore the pyramids, you would go to Osirion where there's a Pharaoh and there's mummies and they're like, even downright, you can worship Ra. Ra has stats, he has domains, all of this stuff. Or if you're like, if you're trying to find that dystopian, well, not dystopian, I guess, but like, uh, it's kind of like the show the I think it's called The 3%. It's on Netflix. It's really good. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Where, like, think of it kind of like a young adult sci-fi novel, I guess. There's an island called Hermia that has that. You've got a place where demons run wild and a place where Vikings run wild. And even Baba Yaga from, like, folklore and from an episode of Arthur, I figured out doing a little bit of Googling. She's from here, and so, too, are all these regions. So a lot of it... Fortunately, I've had a lot of time playing around on that map, so I know a lot of it. Fortunately, also, I have a copy of probably my favorite Pathfinder book, The Inner Sea World Guide, which is really comprehensive. And then it's just a matter of trying to find all of the like real world connections one can make. And then at the end here recently, because I had a comment from someone who actually turned around and became a patron after I responded to it, I'll tie in a little of like, why would you bring your adventurers here? What do your NPCs look like? And fortunately, that just comes from the amount of experience that I've had. Because I have a lot of friends who play this thing. I have a lot of like, both on YouTube and here at home, we run across that map all the time. And so really, you just kind of have to jump in to learn it, I think. It's a whole lot of fun to do so for sure. But that's that's probably where it comes from is just combination of dive in a little bit of Google food to see what the rest of the world is thinking and just getting in there, reading all the stuff. That's I will say, like, I think Pathfinder's bloat, which seems to be what people drag on it the most, is a great thing because it's all there. Whatever you want to find, some of the bigger regions in the inner sea have their own dedicated book like uh, my live, well, not my live stream. We don't live stream it anymore. My stream takes place right now in Kadira. Kadira has its own splat book. And if you want to learn more, you just dive in right there. Me, I just kind of take all the points together, roll them up, and then release them to you guys. So for those of us who don't have the five hours to flip through a 100-page splat book, if you've got five minutes, I got your back. Yeah, and that's a great resource. And it's funny that you mentioned the thing about Pathfinder having the real world kind of mirrors and illusions as I think... Everybody who has ever run a homebrew campaign, and I'm assuming, well, actually, I shouldn't assume. Have you run a, a home world, or do you just do exclusively published? Oh yeah, yeah, time? for sure. My first game was just kind of like, I need a map. Here is a pencil. Here is a notebook paper. The notebook paper, and just scribble it in there. And then there's a map. Uh, even like the published stuff in Pathfinder, I will always change stuff to make it fit the party, fit the random hair in my butt. That makes me decide, I want to try this. This seems really cool, but let's go that. Because otherwise, like, I also, like, I've played, uh, I am playing, I should say. We stream it Tuesday nights on Twitch, Rise of the Rune Lords, which is probably the greatest Pathfinder adventure path. I think so, probably because it's the GM who's running it, but also the, the AP has a lot of room for you can do whatever you want. There's a lot of wiggle room and downtime there. 
I play that as well. And I wouldn't consider that published content because there's so much just extra stuff we do. And I definitely think that GMs should take the plot points that are in the world. GM should take, uh, take a king and assassinate him and change the alignment of the next king. And now he's on the throne or some other something like that to make the world your own because maybe this is just like for me, but I know my players know a lot of it. And then suddenly it's this, Oh, what? Huh? And everybody's all like scrambling through their notes. Like, no, it's not like that. It is now. Yeah. That's exactly the, one of the things uh, I like to do with my players a ton as well. I, 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 I joke with them that, um, like, especially when something like, hey, doesn't that seem like a real world equivalent or illusion or reference? Or even I'll, I'll make a name that's very obviously a reference to something in the real world. Like, oh, his name is Shaw Wyatt. <laughs> like, Sean White? Uh, not really, you know? But so I, I'll lean into that. If, 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 so then you'll have this expectation that the players have when they're going into, like, oh, this has a very, like, you know, this, this sounds like a, a very traditional like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk scenario, and then you flip it on its head and you throw them off, or do the inverse. You have them expect the turn, and then you'll be like, no, no, no. This you know this thing from popular culture or from other uh, things. Yeah, it's like that, and then immediately they go, oh, oh, I get it. I totally get what this is supposed to be, and that's actually I find is really great for saving uh, GM some time. Is if there's a person uh, for let's say an NPC, or there's a region or an order or any sort of real world illusion you can make that will convey your point. Just go ahead and say it. So when I say the sorceress, the uh, source of the Magic Concilium looks like Ava Green, everybody goes, oh, I got an idea of what this chick is like immediately. And then, you know, you can kind of run For from sure, that. yeah. So it's funny then that uh, it seems like everybody will do that also in, in their world as well because, you know, what the idea this idea was coming from was this thing of like Pathfinder is just doing, I think, what all gems and DMs end up doing eventually which is uh, here's an allegory, here's a reference. And when you mentioned ha uh, how much, you know, published versus homebrew stuff, I actually ran a, a Reddit uh, poll recently, got about 100 or so votes. And I, I just pulled up the numbers real quick. Like for how much you homebrew, 45% say it's, they mix homebrew and published for everything. And then 32% say they homebrew everything. So like there's this large contingent of people who want to homebrew and will gladly steal and rip and, you know, just saying, obviously good artists borrow and great artists steal. So that's <laughs> yeah, what we do. Sure. So yeah, so that series is fantastic for getting you a little bit of lore. Uh, now you're getting even deeper now with the Wednesday afternoon worships where you talk about uh, the religious figures. That's a little more interesting to me because uh, uh, the pantheons for me is, is one of the things that's, I don't think I do enough with my games and I'll, I'll ask you how much you do in your games with God worship and stuff like that. But for me, I've always viewed gods as sort of a, a reference to be like, well, you're a cleric. So you believe in a God and you'll be righteous or you'll be chaotic or you'll be, you know, following these tenets here. Uh, but I think going kind of in depth with the, the lore of a history of a God, because most of my worlds are also homebrew. So I, like, I don't have thousands of years of history, but when you play a game like Pathfinder and you have this established history and this established relationships, you can go into that. How much of that do you use in your own games or do you um, pull from? It depends on the party. It depends on the clerics and paladins really, to tell you the truth. Uh, I know it was a long, long time ago, but I had a cleric who worshiped a, it's, they're called Imperial Lords in Pathfinder, which is like a god that has stats and is killable, and her name is Vildeus. And there was a lot of stuff I could pull from there. But a lot of times, like, religion and, like, religion in the scope, I mean to say, of Pathfinder is kind of, like, is weird for me because oftentimes I don't GM for divine characters. And even then, it's, like, it seems sometimes it can be really 
black and white and like my player's interpretation of it versus my interpretation of like whatever deity might hit the board it's always going to be that much different um for example i'm on fridays i'm playing a paladin who started out being unaligned just like invoking the virtues of law and good and stuff like that and there's a the like main paladin goddess in this setting her name is Iomade. I did something wrong and the GM six Eomides herald on me just you're being terrible I'm like no I'm not what are you talking about I'm following this 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 and it, it didn't like start like a like a fist fight or anything but there's definitely like a five minute of come on man present day he uh right now he's worshiping we're kind of playing 5e style with our paladins because I think that's a little more fair and really I think that's what's going to happen in Pathfinder second edition like we're going to get off that LG corner and we're going to run into everywhere but he worships a neutral god and it's become I don't want to say I'm worshiping a neutral god to avoid consequences, but it's in a setting where the world is ending and everything's a little less black and white. But I like religion in Pathfinder because it always comes with, in addition to like the flavor standpoint, there's stats involved with it. There's a Pathfinder calls them deific obediences and it's a feat and every like you take it and then at 12th level, you can cast some spells at 16th, you get this thing. And then at 20th, you get this other thing. So in addition to having the flavor, which is great flavor, there's a lot of lore on these. Well, some of the gods don't have as much, but there's a lot of lore for the core deities and a little farther out that you can dive into, and it's really fun to read. But at that same time, like one of my favorite gods in Pathfinder is named Erastil, and he lets you at 20th level add wisdom to your attack and damage with a longbow. So then I'm adding a bunch of stats into my rolls, and I shoot real good, essentially. I also like in Pathfinder how, and again, it's another like call out to pop culture, but the gods that we see in like our comic books and in our like old mythology and stuff, they exist in Pathfinder. They grant spells. Some of them you can fight. I didn't realize this until I made the video and the video was, uh, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, it was two weeks ago that I covered Pazuzu, not knowing that was a Mesopotamian entry not knowing i knew like there was a name of a gargoyle in futurama but other than that i just thought it was some like something from somewhere nope that's from planet earth same thing with like you can worship cthulhu if you want probably not recommended for your sanity but you can worship cthulhu if you want to uh we were talking about this a little bit ago the ancient egyptian pantheon exists on galerion which is uh I think we're going to see a lot of it in the playtest adventure for Pathfinder 2nd Edition when we go to Doomsday Dawn because it plays a role in that like backstory for that faction. But if you want to build a character who worships like Anubis or Set or Ra or Osiris, whoever, like all the stats are right there in black and white. And it kind of like, again, I guess it's a little more of like, oh, you're worshiping that guy? I know that guy from high school history class or I've been playing Assassin's Creed Origins or not a not a plug for Assassin's Creed Origins, mind you. I just played it earlier. But it's just, it's that kind of thing. And as far as religion goes in games for me, a lot of times it's just, oh yeah, it's that guy. That's cool. But again, it also depends on like the scope of the party. If I have a paladin of X God or a cleric of God Y, obviously they're going to matter more because like I have someone in the party who is doing that. Ergo, the like microscope pivots that way. But I'll, like... There will be times when, like, the core deities of a lot of worlds in certain adventures I've run, like, the first time I ever GM'd, it was for a barbarian, a fighter, and a ranger, no gods there. So they just kind of never came up. 
Yeah, and I think uh, <clears throat> it's kind of fun for for seeing the real world gods kind of get thrown in there because also like we're, you mentioned a little bit with taking away the lawful good for um, paladins, <clears throat> and for those who don't know, it's kind of this old. Um, D&D rule that paladins can only be lawful good, which 5e kind of did away with, and we're going to get to it second edition in a second, but apparently Pathfinder is kind of looking into as well. I think ultimately we're trying to feed our, our uh, players the ability to create whatever character and feel powerful and strong, in which what which in whatever way they, they can possibly do that. So also inviting the other gods. Like if you really want to play a devout follower of Baldur or Tyr or, you know... <clears throat> whatever you know real world reference you want to make uh go for it have fun yeah yeah for sure i have a character in the game i'm running now who is a norse pagan and i have no stats for that so i'm just like i need loki put it together throw it together make it happen oh that guy worships thor that important npc in your backstory okay hang on a second and just kind of slap a thing together yeah so you also mentioned kind of doing streams for the YouTube stuff as well. Now, that's something that's really blown up in the past couple of years. Uh, was that inspired by any in particular stream, or was that just cool, kind of the next logical step as to what you can add to the content of your channel? That, for me, was I have a personal thing where, like, if I show up at someone's table and I'm a player, I am then honor-bound to run a campaign for as many of those people who are interested as like humanly are possible because I know how much work goes into a campaign because I GM and somebody shows up and does that for me it's only fair I reciprocate I only ended up getting two people from that party one of them lives in Phoenix and the other lives in uh where does Donald live Ontario Canada and I live in Missouri so it's kind of hard to meet once a week so it's kind of like let's do this thing on roll 20 you guys okay with streaming it yeah okay cool and we just kind of dived in there's definitely, you're right, there have been a lot of really, really, I won't say powerful, yeah, sure, really powerful streams that have brought, like, this nerd game into the limelight, into the mainstream, and I think, like, I won't say everybody's doing it, but I'll say that everybody's doing it more than they were, like, pre-critical role, which really, I just started watching, like, two weeks ago, I had no idea what that was until somebody said that, like, Matt Mercer did this, I'm like, well, who's that, I mean, what, do we have a new friend? Tommy! And then here come all these links, and now I like Critical Role. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in my first episode, like, I kind of touched on this because the inspiration for the transition for me into GMing was watching Critical Role and stuff like that, watching the streams. And I, while it wasn't my first thing, Acquisitions Inc. was my first, uh, Critical Role is really... Um, I'm a heavy metal guy, so I, I, I'm going to make a heavy metal reference. Some people won't know. It's the Metallica for like hard rock heavy metal like the first one the crossover from that kind of niche underground world and make this thing very popular and mainstream so you know a lot of people obviously talk junk about metallica or some people are avid fans and fanatics about metallica but you cannot deny like that's a very important band i can definitely say that when i was like 10 or 11 years old somebody bought me the black album and now i like progressive death metal so yeah no i know exactly what you're talking about hey we can talk death metal as well now it's the second time avid listeners and i've got to get somebody here who i can talk about death metal and like heavy metal with this is good there's there's something about metal and RPGs, I'm not joking. Like when you talk to guys 
who are into like death metal bands or like uh, progressive metal bands or technical metal bands and you see like or power metal especially power metal guys are rpg fans i don't care what you say <laughs> there's no dude who's playing guitar for a band called like dragon heart or winter's fire or some some variation of a fantastical name with a tokin-esque album cover that does not like rpgs i will fight that doesn't just have a d20 and is like that little pocket in your jeans where you keep your picks there's also just there just in case yeah i know what you mean yeah. I guarantee you, you can go up to the singer or anybody in Blind Guardian and ask them about their D&D character, and they'll be able to tell you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, Critical Role is kind of that now for, for all this kind of generation. So, it's funny that you're getting into it kind of after the fact, when the vast majority of people kind of first, maybe not their first, but definitely the biggest um, infection vector for online streaming RPGs is Critical Role. So, what what sort of like challenges or sort of um, uh, obstacles did you find in kind of putting all that stuff together and getting um, online? Really, it's just like the little stuff has been what we've tripped over. I've recently like moved my whole computer setup so I have a backdrop, but before that, my computer was at like like a ninety degree angle ish to my wife's computer, and she plays with us, so she'll be facing this way, and I'll be facing ninety degrees the other way, and the mic is over here, so I have to like nudge her in the like in the ribs, just hey, look here when you're talking, please. And just that kind of thing. Uh, I know the very first episode of the the game is called Lordly Caliber. And yes, it's based off the N64 Ogre Battle game. Uh, the very first one was the only one we actually tried to stream. And the audio was just like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, okay, here's OBS. This says start streaming, go. And the audio was so terrible. I had to download it and buy a bunch of programs to get it up to like at least bearable and then re-upload it. But even then, like, as we're learning, as I'll be like session seven, eight, nine, I'll realize that I had the volume on like, like in OBS for my desktop audio down too low or my desktop's actual physical volume down too low. So nobody's getting heard or there's too much background noise somewhere. Um, again, I also didn't realize that like, I won't say how necessary good gear is because it, yeah, sure. It totally is. But I didn't realize how big the disparity was. Because it's like my schedule becomes come home, go to the gym for a little while, and then jam out a video. I don't have a lot of time to stop and analyze and tell somebody's like, hey, you should do it this way because this. And then suddenly it's like put right in my face and I realize there needs to be a change. Which is basically like that's why I'm saying the channel has been maybe not so much now that we've got our like footing under us. But we were very, 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 very fake it till you make it. At the very beginning, I remember like my first few videos were recorded on an iPhone and I would just take the audio, upload them, strip a video and just put slides over top because at the time that's just what we had. But yeah, say what you will, but that's that type of drive I was talking about a little bit earlier, which I'm, you know, you want, I mean, yes, audio is very important. Equipment is very uh, important. I tell you, of course, on a podcast, <laughs> but like uh, what, what I found from a lot of people is is they can ignore a bad visual, but if the sound hurts, they're like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not wasting my time with this. So yeah, p upgrading equipment is kind of essential. It's something I, I think makes a lot of sense there as well. Um, you've also got, and and I, I love it, is kind of the audio, uh, no, sorry, the visual components of kind of reference materials and, and, and stuff like that from the background. And that, I, I'm, I'm assuming that takes time to like pull for your channel and stuff like that as well. And are some of those commissions or do you, uh, how does all, the, all that work? Most together? of the stuff that comes down like on the videos is stuff I make myself, like I have a graphic design degree that I'm in the process of paying down but i have all that stuff there and i have the know-how 
to like throw everything together. Of course, I have a couple of artists in my back pocket in case I never ever need like art for this token or like I have a mini painting guy that I'll use for my giveaways once like his now that Gary Con's over and he's not like painting minis for the Gygax family. I think I could probably call on him for a giveaway. But a lot of the stuff I do is pretty much just 110% myself. Just kind of like, I need to do this. I don't know how to do this. Google for five hours. Okay, got it. And then just run from there. That's awesome. That's 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 that can-do attitude I like to hear. But you mentioned it earlier, and I, I think it bears repeating. Pathfinder kind of being your big focus, kind of your, your concentration. Second edition is coming along, man. What are, what are our thoughts? And I know you probably have a ton of videos. I mean, I, I've, I've seen some of them. But, like, let, let's just generally go over this. What, what, what do you feel about second edition? Because what I'm hearing is it's going for a more streamlined approach. Yeah, second edition is going to shake up a lot of things. I will say uh, the very first video, or blog, rather, that Paizo put out, for second edition that came out on my 27th birthday and I come home from work and somebody put it in chat like, hey guys, look. And suddenly I realized that everything's gonna change. And at first I was freaking out, terrified because I have all these characters I haven't played and the stack of character sheets that's 10 miles high that I need to do in campaigns and ah. But the more you read into it, the more you see like, really it seems like they're gonna keep all of the crunch and all of the customization that we love in Pathfinder, but they are definitely going to streamline things. A lot of stuff is going to be uh, in Pathfinder. I don't know if this is, this is probably the case in 5e for a couple items, but in Pathfinder, I know there's like five or six items that every single solitary character forever has to have, has to spend the gold on, or as you level up, you just kind of like, you fall behind. You can't keep up. Second edition is doing away with that. Uh, for all the Pathfinders out there, the fighter can craft his own magic items in Pathfinder second edition, which is huge. Because again, like you need stuff like that to function and the list will be considerably smaller now in second edition, but it's going to be pretty much the same thing. I think uh, this morning, actually, my channel put out a video on they're calling them ancestries now instead of races because there's a little more mutability in there. But they put out the ancestries for the elves and the dwarves for second edition, and it looks pretty much exactly the same. Just some of the stuff that's kind of like situational. For example, a dwarf's plus one to hit versus orcs and stuff. You can take that if you want it. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. They're changing the way ability scores are generated and how they level up. Everything's getting not a from the ground overhaul, I'll say, but it's kind of like how 3.5 goes into Pathfinder as a cleanup. It's that same idea, Pathfinder 1E to Pathfinder 2E. It will definitely, like, I don't want to say this early on. It will be less crunchy because I think it still will be but I think it'll be more crunchy in the terms of that customization that you want to build this. Okay. Got it. Cool. Do it. And less in terms of like five hours of bookkeeping in between sessions, that kind of thing. I definitely am like, I am very, very stoked for it. That's been, I'm very, very stoked for Paizo for putting this out, frankly, because that's where like all the growth from this channel is. I remember uh, the lead designer, Eric Mona for Paizo productions. He retweeted one of my videos like two weeks ago and I get it sent like my wife runs the Twitter and I get a picture of like this guy retweeting me like I know I know that name who's that's Eric Mona okay and then the channel just exploded pretty much in terms of subscriber count I guess right now it's still kind of like I am nervous for it I would be lying if I said I wasn't but it's not like 
nervous for impending doom so much as like there's this new thing around the corner and it's going to be different and I can't wait to see it. With, with the, uh, it's going to sound like a leading question regardless, but so with that explosion and stuff like that, does that reaffirm your drive to continue the channel or to work harder and, 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 and keep you going? Oh, you have no idea, man. Oh yeah, it totally does. I like, it is hard to do this. It is, well, not hard. I'll say it is very time consuming to do this. It's a very like big monster that I've taken in to try to do this. And it feels amazing to come home from work and I'll have like 15 notifications on YouTube and like 10 of them are, Hey man, you're going to blow up. That's so great. Keep up the good work or Hey man, give me like a week and I'll jump on Patreon. This looks so great. And all this stuff, like it feels like I'm not just screaming into the void anymore in terms of like, like I remember I'd put out a video and it would get a hundred views and I'd lose my mind because that those so many views back in the day. And now one of my second edition videos is pushing 10,000. And I remember when that ticked over a thousand, just, oh, look at that. And then the next day it's 2000 and up, 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 up. It's, it kind of feels like things are starting to open up for the channel. It's a really exciting time for me because I have all these opportunities up to and including coming here on this podcast with you. And it's just like, it feels really good. And definitely yeah, it's an affirmation that I am on the right path. We keep marching forward. We're going to get there. Yeah. I mean, pun intended you finding this path and having the positive feedback coming from it. And also like, and, and, and this is a lesson I learned from a great German friend of mine, Dan Wallace, who uh, humbled me a long, long time ago when I started way, way back. The reason I have like a, uh, you guys don't see this cause obviously it's an audio podcast, but I still have my old logo of my, the rooster or the cock talking to the microphone because of my very first podcast and like sh show on YouTube, like four or five years ago called cocktails. And he kind of humbled me and he gave me this kind of uh, idea that like, just conceptualize whenever somebody goes to talk, uh, sorry, uh, conceptualize your views as somebody every day or every week or however often you release content, that these number of people go into either a hall or a room or whatever to hear you talk or to listen to you talk or to be with you or be around you. So when you get 15, 30, 100, 300, 1000, Imagine how crazy it would be if every week you walked into, a, you know, a, a concert hall and there's a thousand people looking at you and waiting to listen to you talk about shit or waiting to listen to you sing or whatever you do. You'd be fucking ecstatic and you'd be super, super happy. You'd never take that for granted. You'd feel special. So any number you receive of viewers and content and subscribers of any kind, you should really appreciate be humbled by. It. And then to watch you have that idea for 100 and then I've seen you now have thousands and I'm almost certain you're going to have tens of thousands eventually uh, with the amount of content you do if you keep it up. So yeah, that's a great, good thing to hear. It's a great, uh, also it humbles me and makes me happy to, to do these things as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like even the, like the smallest things that my channel does, which my stream is one of them because like, again, it started off on, a, on the back foot and just kind of like zombie limped on it for like 10 sessions until we figured it out. Those will get like 30 views but those 30 views still matter. Those 30 views feel really good because that means that, like I come from a very small town. My graduating high school class was 37 people. That's how many people are watching my friends and I roll dice once a week. And it, that feels really great that somebody out there thinks I'm good enough at this to even before like thousands of views and patronage and everything else to just like come hang out for a couple hours. It feels really good. That's fantastic. And if anybody listening now wants to get to contact you or you see your content, why don't you just tell them where to go, buddy? Black Dragon Gaming. It's there are like five or six Black Dragon Game. There are like five or six Black Dragon Gaming channels out there. We're the most popular one now. 
and I had to keep it because my first character was a black dragon disciple and it's like that is my name I will take it we're on YouTube we we probably eventually will hit Twitch or Facebook Tumblr Twitter all the social media stuff we put videos out present video schedule is Monday Wednesday Friday we're talking about 1e stuff Tuesdays and Saturdays it's second edition our our stream goes up on Sundays and then every other Saturday we do something like this with our brother channel the Inn of Planar Crossroads. Super good guys. You should check them out for sure. But yep, Black Dragon Gaming on YouTube. That's where you can find me. And don't forget to support them on Patreon as well because these people and you in particular I think are fantastic and going to do a lot of great things. And if you want to contact me, of course, the Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. The podcast is, of course, my RPG podcast. You can find those on Podbean and now iTunes and anywhere pod services podcasts are heard uh, any questions any inquiries you can also send it to the gmail which is my rpg podcast at gmail.com thank you for listening and i'll see you at the table